All right, that is a tremendous song and excellent way it was sung. And boy, you got the message of it, didn't you? All right, our text is Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. While you're looking that up, now just a couple quick things. Tomorrow I have an MRI and a CAT scan, and then Wednesday I meet with a head doctor. The problem is my neurologist, I guess they call them, I call them head doctors, but either way, my neurologist is a lady, and they think all men are sick in the head. So I don't know if that's going to help me or not. But, uh, but uh, I appreciate We've had a lot of prayers going up for us, and I just want you to know we really appreciate that. And my wife appreciates your prayers for her having to put up with me. Okay, so I know that as well. And then I tell you what. Now, you know, we kept church open all the time that uh, this went on. And... Uh, Quite a few, a lot of our senior citizens were here too. And, and you know what the great thing about that is, is that not one person that I know of got COVID-19 through all of that. But I'm not putting down anybody that wasn't here. What I am saying is this. I'm saying the world's opening back up. At least the state of Florida's opening back up this coming Sunday. So uh, the various Sunday school classes and all that that we're doing, uh, Zoom, that's out. We're back here. I want if a visitor comes, I want a place to send them to. I don't want to send them to the TV. I want to send them to a classroom and meet people personally. So that starts next week. And Brother Lloyd's class already met together over there. And I know why they did that. We just let Brother Lloyd teach in here, but they get the coffee and the donuts over there. So I know what they were doing over there. Okay. Can't we get back? Man, they don't give us coffee and donuts in there. So, but if I give you coffee, then, then you won't be able to go to sleep when I'm preaching. Um... But, but nonetheless, we uh, went through this thing. The Lord protected us, and the Lord has blessed us. Uh, COVID-19 was allowed of the Lord. He didn't give it. He allowed it. Okay. He allowed it. And it tested our faith, but it also tested uh, the others. But the Christians, the churches, I think this is one of the great opportunities now for revival in the churches you can't expect anything to happen in America unless the churches have revival, get back to the way of righteousness and holiness. Until that happens, then it's got to be right here. So let's look at our text right now. And we see here in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, Well, let's have a word of prayer, then we'll get into that. Father, you have been so good to us. Your compassion cannot be measured by man. But what we do know, your compassion is greater than all the world and all of its energy and know-how can have. And you have that compassion for each individual soul. If there's one without you today, I pray that they'd be the very day they receive Christ as Savior in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now there are three uh, parables in this chapter that Jesus tells. But it's all in reaction to the first two uh, verses that we just read. Actually we read three, but uh, a quick rundown of these verses shows the point 
of the parables. First, in verse 1, sinners, that, that's self-explanatory. They actually represent the unsaved. Publicans. The publicans, they were the tax collectors for Rome, but they are Jews. Most Jews considered them traitors and thieves. The rich, the poor, the common people, they, they all had a very low opinion with these uh, men, these Jews, <clears throat> that did this. And so, because of that, the publicans, they were Jews, but the rest of the Jews didn't have a lot of time for them. The publicans represent backslid Christians. Christians that have gotten away from God's house. Christians that have got away from the direction of, of fundamentalism and, and, and Bible. Because if you get away from the fundamentals of the Bible, you've gotten away from fundamentalism. You say, you know, I remember they used to be in this church. I remember they used to be in that church. Oh, man, they were on fire for the Lord. What happened? They got drawn away. And they're like the publicans. Well, that happened in verse 2. And the religious people are upset. And they begin sowing discord and gossip about that preacher, that is, Jesus Christ. And they said, he receiveth sinners. He receiveth publicans and sinners. Boy, I am so glad he received sinners. I'm up here preaching today. I'm saved today because he receiveth sinners. And so praise the Lord that he does. Now, it shows the parables in are in conjunction with verse 2. Them in verse 3 refers to the them, the Pharisees, and those that were attacking Jesus. And because of that, he says there in verse 3, uh, he spake this parable unto them. Now he's going to explain it. He's going to show his compassion in comparison to their criticism. And there's going to be a wide and vast difference there. So, let's first see verses 4 through 7 and the value of a lamb. What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it upon his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. And I say unto you that likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. More than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Now, in that day, the lamb was a source of income and provision for the family. It had wool for clothing. It was meat for food as they would reproduce and reproduce. And you think about that. Jesus is the lamb of God that is the one who gave his heart, the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That spelled salvation for my soul. It spells salvation for the whole world. 
in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, he's the propitiation, the entire payment in full for all time. He is the propitiation for our sins, but not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. <laughs> no one is beyond the saving power of Jesus Christ. Oh, pretty wicked people, yes. But if you knew your heart like God knows your heart, you'd realize that we also are pretty wicked people. Well, the lamb did provide sustenance for the household in that day. Jesus is the sustenance for eternal life, not only to save us, but for us to live. And he feeds us through his word by his Holy Spirit providing the food for us. It's important enough, when this one lamb is lost, when this one lamb strays away from the fold, to leave the 90 and 9, usually they would leave it with the son. If the son wasn't old enough, they'd leave it with the wife. But they would leave to go after that soul, to go after that lamb. Why? Because a lamb by itself is an easy prey to a lion who goeth about seeking whom he may devour, as the devil goes about seeking whom he may devour. And so that lamb is an easy prey for this one. When that lamb strays from the house of God, from the people of God, from the way of truth, from the word of God, from the fundamentals, and they say, all right, I want to go to this contemporary church. I want to go to this Calvinist church. I want to go to this other kind of church. They are leaving the fold of God, the one God designed. You say, well, how do you know this is God's fold here at Central Baptist? Well, like any church that preaches the word as it is and keeps it godly in our music and other ways instead of worldly and trying to emulate the world, that is not our design. That is God's design for the local church. And when a person goes from that, he's straying from the fold that God has put them in. So you stay in God's fold. Remember the story of David. He was a shepherd in the field before all the things with Goliath and everything else had happened. But in 1 Samuel 17, verses 35 and 36, he says, And I went out after him and smote him and delivered him out of the mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not too sure if I have a huge cannon and gun that I want to face a lion. Listen, I am no match for a lion. I'm not any match for the one that walketh about as a lion, seeking whom he may devour, for he's devoured many testimonies. And so therefore, I need the one who can. David, oh, he did that to the lion, but you know what? I believe that he did it in the power of God. Don't, don't you remember that many of those psalms that we read came in the field as he meditated on the word of God? while he watched his flock. Many of those psalms are written through that time with God. And how he goes out and he's able to do something and, and meet the enemy head on. 
teenage boy, maybe 16, 17 years old, takes on a lion and a bear and is victorious. But for me, I see a lion. I'm going to look at the lambs and say, okay, you're supper tonight. You know, I'm getting out of there. Okay, let the lion have them. If I'm a shepherd, I would not be a good one. But you know what? In many ways, we're shepherds of our own lives. Under shepherds, for Christ is the chief shepherd. But uh, how often does the fear of man is used by that lion Satan to devour the testimonies and commitment and the surrender to God of so many. If a saved man leaves the fold, go after him. Bring him back. If he sees forgiveness in the church, he can come back. And then he can once again be producing. Look, those, those lambs produce wool. They would reproduce other lambs, and that would feed. But they grew the flock. They provided for the home. The shepherd just made sure he had green pastures. Well, we've got great green pastures right here in this word. And that's where he wants to lead us. So if you'll walk in that word, you'll think on it, you'll meditate on it, he'll lead you, and he is the way to victory because... As you learn from God's Word, then you learn what you're supposed to do. Now, I believed I was in high school for when I realized I was a, called to preach. It was later that I surrendered to that in my 20s. I knew what it was to grow up in a pastor's home. I knew what a preacher goes through. I know all the lies, the criticisms, and everything else that come along. I didn't want to face that, to be quite honest with you. I didn't want my kids to go through it. I know what it is. It happens. But that doesn't change the call of God. Didn't change the call of God at all. So the idea is, is that God didn't give up. He kept working in my heart and life with events and other things that brought me back to that fold. Now, I didn't leave church. You can be in church and be out of the will of God. But now I'm able to be one in that fold. But you know what? It's by that same word that I got convicted. It's by that same word I got right with God. And it's that same word, instead of listening to say, well, he preaches that way. I like that way style of preaching. Well, he preaches that way. I like that style. He does it this way. You know what? I like that. No. Just let God tell you. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. The Lord tells the preacher how he's supposed to preach. The culture of the 21st century, the 28th century, and whatever century comes forward is still not going to change the Word of God. God's Word is always right. God's Word is the way we're supposed to do it. Now, so we do God's will, God's way, and we can produce more in God's fold. Now the 99, you know, he, he rejoices more over that one than the 99. He said, oh, what was the 99 doing that got God upset that he doesn't rejoice over them? 
That's not the idea. The 99 are not loved less. God cannot have his uh, love to be less than it is for others. The lost lamb is not loved more because the Lord loves each of us with his all and you cannot love any more than that. And we can't love one that is supposed to be with us as we ought to until he's back with us. He's rejoicing, not because he likes that lamb more than he does the other lambs. No, he's rejoicing because the fold is back together. That's why we seek those who have gone astray. That's why we seek to bring them back. Because much more in the will of God can be accomplished through Central Baptist Church or any Bible preaching church when they stand on the Word of God. Look, we're going to appear in heaven one day. Let's be prepared for that day. The heart of the shepherd cares for the sheep. You see someone who used to be faithful, but contemporary Calvinism or some other thing, and, and those with critical spirits, Boy, they've gone another direction. But they want to come back. But then they see the ones with critical spirits. They see the ones that are still in the church. And they fear to come back because they don't want to get into their clutch. And in this day, we've got Facebook and other things, and they get on cell phones, they get everywhere else, and keep in touch with everybody to give the bad skinny, the bad down on that person who's trying to get right with God. Work as hard as trying to get them right and help them get right rather than to say, what are they doing? I don't trust them. What did God do? What does he show us in this? Well, this good shepherd put that lamb on his shoulders and carried him back. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? When one wants to come back, he might be the one that his shoulder that the shepherd wants to use to help that wandering lamb back to his fold. And that's what we do. So we see him leaning on the everlasting arms. We want them to come back to the way of separation and love and holiness. Far too many end up in other churches who at one time walked in the biblical way of righteousness. Don't give up on them. When they come to the end of that, they'll find that there is no true peace and no true comfort in those things. It comes from the Lord and the Lord's not in those things. But you'll notice there, verse 6, as they bring him back after a diligent search, he calls all the fellow believers together, confirming their love for him. Because... It's time to rejoice. There's no room for a critical spirited Christian when someone returns. That's pharisaical at best. Verse 9 shows us the, the heel of Jesus on the head of Satan as he lets them know that there is joy in heaven when one backslidden Christian repents, one who 
used to walk there and, and no longer does, but now it gets back right with God. There's joy in heaven. There's joy in heaven. Look, I believe I got mom and dad and others up there. I don't think the Lord lets them know when we're going astray. Because the Lord knows. But when he gets in touch with them and says, hey, look, your son, your daughter, this friend, they got away from God, but they've come back. Oh, there's rejoicing. There is such rejoicing. I don't want any Christian here or any former Christian that was a member here, I don't want any to ever be ashamed at his appearing. Don't want any to ever hear saved so as by fire. No, we want to see the Lord do a special work in their life. Uh, and so there's joy in heaven because they're walking back. They're walking with the Lord's will and his way again. In James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, Brethren, if any of you, now this is talking about saved people, do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he that converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. This speaks of physical death, by the way, not spiritual death. As 1 John chapter 5 uh, points out in verses 16 and 17. There is a death, physical death, a death under sin. He says, don't even pray for it. Don't even pray for it. That person got away from God. Don't pray that God kills them. Pray that they repent. That's what he wants you to do. Now in verses 8 through 10, we see the parable of the lost coin. He says, either that, uh, uh, he says, um, yeah, either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, she lose one piece and doth not light a candle, and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace that I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angel over one sinner that repenteth. Here is a silver coin. Silver coin was worth a day's wage, a common working man's wage. That was it. She had 10 days of, of it there, but you don't want to lose one day, especially if her husband gave it to her, and he comes going to come home, and he's going to account it. She doesn't want to lose that. So what does she do? She lights a candle. She lets her light shine as a light upon the hillside that she might see it all. She looks diligently. I believe that shepherd looked diligently. Why? Because souls are worth it. Whether it's to bring a lost soul to salvation, whether it's to bring a backslidden Christian back into the way of righteousness. And look, you say, well, they messed up. What can they do? They may come back and win more souls than they ever done for Jesus Christ. They may come back and be able to help others that are going astray and keep them from going that direction. Rescue the perishing. Duty demands it. And so once again, it is so important to God 
regardless how bad they have sinned, the shepherd doesn't look casually. It's kind of like the woman when her husband says, where is my whatever? Where is my keys? Where is that? I know it's right here. Now, where is it? And she knows he did not look for that thing as well as she can, and she finds it right away. In the coverage track, he says, you hit it. You know, but really, she doesn't know anything about it, but uh, she looks and she finds it before he can even think about it. But what did she do? She searched with the light. Many times a Christian is far away from the Lord when he leaves. He don't know it because he still may be religious, but he's not righteous. So he, he goes away, and the way you search for that person is with the light of God's word. Because the word shows me myself. And so you go in the power of the Holy Spirit, and you make a diligent search that they might come back into the way of righteousness. <clears throat> Just imagine her husband comes home. He's going to look over that stuff that he has entrusted to her. Maybe he brings another day's wage home, and he sees one missing. Okay, what are you doing at the mall? <laughs> and so she made sure that that was there, because she will have to give an account you realize that God gave us gifts? When you got saved, God gave you a spiritual gift, whether you realize it or not. Jesus gave two different uh, parables, one on the pounds, one on the talents, where an account is given. We'll give an account of how we used these gifts that God gave. One day, that day's coming. This lady was prepared. And so the question comes back is, are you prepared? You know, the Bible likens the Word of God to treasure hid in a field. It likens our salvation to that treasure hid in a field because it's the blood of Jesus Christ, more precious than gold. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. This is picturing for us one that has left his first love, just like in Revelation chapter 2. They got away from those first works, that a growth in the Word. They can't be at church enough. They can't go and tell others enough. They can't get involved. Can I drive a Sunday school bus? Oh, can I take up the offering? Can I help with this? Can I help with that? Can I sing in the choir? Hey, I used to play a banjo, or I used to play a, a accordion, or I used to play a <clears throat> violin. Or a piddle, whatever that is, okay? But they used to play that. Maybe they played a horn of some kind. Man, I played that years ago. Hey, can I work on it and get in your orchestra? Hey, God gave you the gift. Why not use it for Him? Dr. Lee Robertson lost his voice and thought he had to sit for months with not even allowed to say a word. He thought he would never get to preach again. But then God gave him his voice back. But he knew that the gift came from God. My friend, whatever gift you have, whether it's to sing, whether it's to play a piano, whether it's you can go out there and drive a bus, or you can go knock on door, whatever you've got. Look, witnessing is not a gift, it's a command. Do it. Do it. Get involved. 
Do it. He's given us something to do. Don't leave that first love. Don't be like Demas who, having loved this present world, departed from the fundamental ministry and mission that God had given him. But there are voices that are heard. It may be Facebook. It may be gossip or other means. These people that have that rep. That although a person may get under conviction about the way they went, they don't want to come back because a lot of those voices is what discouraged them to begin with. Say, well, that church is like that, that preacher is like that, this person's like that. I'm not going to be there. And they allowed the voices of backslid Christians who are still in the church to guide them instead of the Word of God. And that's always, always, always a terrible shame. Some folks like to look for that fault, especially if one doesn't jump on their bandwagon. This kind of joy is being heard. They're the one who wants to be the source. Hey, if you want to know anything about that, go talk to her. Go talk to him. Oh, boy, they can tell you all about it. And we all know that there are people that we've, through the years, known that are just like that. Yeah, go ask them, man. They're going to, they're going to go around and ask people just so they can get information. And so they get that reputation. That's their rep. But that person's under conviction. They don't want to come back to those kind of people. They know what they're going to hear because they heard it about others. Some folks look for fault. Don't jump on that bandwagon. Because they just enjoy being heard and being the source. And they think they're very important. And they are. But not to God, to Satan. Because he can destroy testimonies of individual Christians through those kind of things. The Great Commission is the duty of all saved people. Again, let me just share with you Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. But if thou warn the wicked, and he turned not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way. He shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness. Now you see, you've got an unsaved and a saved here. When a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity and lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because thou hast not given him warning. He shall die in his sin. And his righteousness, which he hath done, shall not be remembered. He'll lose his reward, saved so as by fire of the word. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man, that the righteous sin not, but he doth not, <clears throat> and he doth not, uh, 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 he that doeth sin shall surely live, because he is warned, and also, Thou hast delivered thy soul. So you warn that guy and he gets right. The Lord's saying, go after that backslid Christian. Get him. Go after the lost. Get them. Bring them in from the fields of sin. And what do they do? They rejoice the coin was found. Because every soul is worth it. Now finally, let me just say this. We have the Prodigal son, I'm not going to read the verses there, 
that follows throughout the rest of the chapter. But the um, story of the prodigal son, I, I think we've heard more of that than we do the other ones. But you don't realize these three parables were all for that one thing. You're down on the sinner because I tried to reach a sinner. You're down on them because you don't want sinners to get saved, evidently. You're down on this Jew because he's gone away from your flock. They're both souls that are important to God. They're important to God. And so this final one is of the lost son. We call it the prodigal son. What, what happens? Well, one son says, Father, give me my living. Give me my inheritance now. And he stays there for a little bit, but not long. He finally takes up everything, and he moves into a far country where he spends all of his living on, you might say, wine, women, and song. You know, the devil points a, uh, paints a picture for young people, young adults, that says, you know what? Why are you putting up with that church? Why are you putting up with that way of life? Man, you can get out, you can have fun, you can enjoy life, you can make money, you can do this, you can do that. And that's the way the devil works. But you see, the regret comes in later. The regret comes when your life is broken. Well, what follows that? There's a famine in the land, and he's lost everything he has. A famine. I guess it was Trump's fault. But nonetheless, there was a famine in the land. Now he gets a job feeding the pigs, but he has to eat what the pigs eat. He gets the same slop they get. Now, today's world say, well, we have psychology and we have programs, and their psychology and programs are no better than the slop that the world gives. We don't need psychology. We need truth. We need the truth of God's Word, and we need to live by it. And he's got wide open arms that's ready to receive you again. The father did not go after this son because that son just not leave, did not leave just to go across town. He left the country. He left the town where they lived and went to another place. Now it's time to wait for the, him to get to that bottom point. Because if he goes over there and says, oh, I, my, I, I don't want my son to live like this. I'm going to give him an apartment. I'm going to stock his uh, shelves with food. And I'm going to do everything so he's not suffering. That boy will never get right with God if he does that. You see, you've got to have the wisdom of God to do that. He waits, but he's prepared. He knows God's going to do it. So what does he do? He has the fatted calf. He's just preparing. He's got all that ready. The son comes to the end of himself, the Bible says. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have food and enough to eat? And I don't have anything. I know what I'll do. I'll go back and I'll confess all of my father. I've sinned. I've done this. I've done that. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son but I would like to serve you. I'd like to be as one of your servants. Well, the father, when he was coming back, saw him far off, starting to come back. He didn't wait till he could go all the way back. He went out there and met him and hugged his neck and brought him back. And he says, hey, go in the house. That great big jewelry box I get, have there, get out a, a, a ring. And, and, and then go in my closet. All those robes that are in there, all those great clothes, get him one of those robes. And hey, go in the shoe closet. And all those shoes, get him a pair of new sandals. And hey, listen, go ahead and prepare now. Let's give him a good, juicy steak. 
you'll get to the restaurant soon enough. Now, I said, wait. Let's get him a juicy steak. And man, he said, my son has come home. Let's rejoice. My son has come home. There is joy in the presence of the angel when a son comes home. The elder son stays out in the field. He's working. And, you know, the elder son is mad, but I think he gets a bad rap against him. He's not the one that left. Matter of fact, when all the servants come in, he's still out in the field working. I think he's mad because he says, you didn't do this for me, but this son spent all that living what you gave us, what you've earned, what you have to give us, he spent that on harlots and everything else that's bad. He's brought disgrace to my father's name. He's brought disgrace to my father's house. Why do I want to go back there? Praise God for that son, because he didn't leave, he didn't quit, he didn't give up. He stayed with the work when the others have already come in. He's the last one coming in. He's still doing the work. He didn't do just enough to say, okay, I did my work for today, I'm going back. No. He stayed out there until everything was taken care of. That's a good man of God who's a servant of the Lord, the servant of his father. His father sits down with him and he says, Son, everything I have is yours. Yeah, he got a ring. But that great big jewelry box, the whole thing belongs to you. Yeah, I gave him some, uh, a robe out of that closet. But all those clothes are yours now. Hey, I gave, I gave him shoes. I gave him the, the, the robe. I gave him a ring. And I gave him a stake. But all the cattle are yours. And you're over my things your brother's now your servant. I don't know if he did this. I would have said, hey, why don't you get out there behind that ox and plow? Just think of it as a BMW, you know? And, hey, see this shovel? Guess what you're going to shovel in the barn? I mean, he could have come down. I don't know that he did. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But, see, the elder son's ruling and reigning and not saved so as by fire. Yes, it was a terrible thing to do to his daddy. But it'd be just as terrible when he's repentant to not receive him back. Now, they have to be repentant. They have to come. I, look, I've been in church services where people have come and said, I went far from God and Please, please, please forgive me. I did this, I did that. And the people would receive them and forgive them. I've been in church. You don't see too many of those anymore, but I've been in those over the years. Now, America's just gone through this COVID-19 thing. still going through it, really. And I don't think God caused it. I think God allowed it. I think God allowed it, just like our text today. He allowed it 
not to bring revival to the country, to bring revival to the church. Country can't have revival until souls are saved to be revived. They're not vibed yet if they're not saved, okay? They've got to be revived after they're saved. And maybe there'll be a revival of local churches throughout this country. That's what we've got to pray for. That's why Brother Milan heads up this, this prayer meeting on Monday nights, that they can pray for revival. A revival of righteousness and holiness in the local churches. A revival of forgiveness to those who are repentant. A revival that is such that the church is known again as local churches who not only preach the word and sing the way they ought to sing, but they're places where regret-filled, backslidden sinners, filthy with the rot of this world, can come back and be forgiven as they're cleansed cleansed by the special work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by His blood. But yes, the first is to be saved. Are you sure if you died today that heaven's your home? 1 John chapter 1, verse 12, But as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Pharisees didn't like that because they didn't want those sinners and those publicans to get saved or get right and get back right. They just wanted to criticize Jesus, find fault with his house and his people. Look, if you're not sure you're saved, it doesn't matter if we've got every person in this auditorium is a hypocrite. That won't keep you out of hell. The only thing that keeps you out of hell is the precious blood of Jesus Christ when you receive Him as your Lord and Savior. He died for you for a purpose. He died for everyone's sin, but it's not applied until they receive Him as their Lord and Savior. If you're not sure if you died today that heaven's your home, please make today the day that you come. Let's pray.